The Time Traveling Robots in Space is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download at audibletrial.com slash galactic netcasts. Over 100,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. The Time Traveling Robots in Space It is Wednesday, June 20th, 2012, and welcome to another Galactic Netcast. This is the Time Traveling Robots, Robots in Space, number 36, from Wausau, Wisconsin. I'm Dave Nelson, alongside Glendale, California's pride and joy, Mr. Paul Swickard. Hey, Paul. Hey, Dave. How are you? You know, I don't think I could ever be Glendale's pride and joy. I'm not, you know, I'm I'm still a bit of a foreigner to these people. You don't have to explain any more than that, Paul. But I do want to congratulate you on your new job. You are now employed. Congratulations. Yeah, this is like breaking news. This happened like just like right now. Really loud. <laughs> and he's a construction worker. Uh, he's going to be doing work on his apartment. That's, that's right, the job. That's right. And I'm doing this from a construction site right now. <laughs> so you all can experience that and, you know. It's it'll be fun. You've got Just that. For the jackhammer. You've got that going on, and then you're leaving for Nerdtacular in Salt Lake City uh, tomorrow, right? Yes, sir. We are leaving out. We are heading out tomorrow with me and the wife, and I am heading back on Monday, so I can give you all kinds of the Nerdtacularness, funness, and other things as well. It's too bad that you actually don't... they're doing. Go ahead. They're doing live um they're doing a live podcast of the sword and laser so that might that might be uh up our alley as it were well okay but they're also streaming the whole thing right they're streaming frog pants network is streaming the whole nerdtacular saturday at least right yes sir that is that is the plan all right so what you need to do before you leave paul is put together a bunch of galactic netcasts business cards and hand them out to all the Frog Pants community. So you can spread the word on what okay. we're doing here at Galactic Netcasts. Can you do that? I, I, I could, yes. <laughs> it's I will, that's another matter. <laughs> actually, you know what? It'd remind me next year. We could actually probably get like a little, um, a little card type thingy inside the swag bags if we really wanted to. That would be awesome. Okay, next year then. All right, so uh, this is the show where we uh, talk about all things time travel, robots, and space in science fiction and science fact. We give you a couple of stories from each topic, then we talk about our picks and the question of the week in the future. If you would like to join us live as we stream the show on Spreecast.com, usually we do it Thursday, doing it early this year, or this, this week, but uh, the best way to keep on top of when we're doing what is to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Google+, and just go to galacticnetcast.com and click on social for all the appropriate links. Before we get underway, we have to also tell you that you can now buy a 30-second live read on any of the Galactic Netcast shows. 
Actually, $10 will get you a read on all the shows. Just go to galacticnetcast.com slash advertise, fill out the short form, submit your payment securely through PayPal, and we'll read your message in an upcoming episode of all the shows on the Galactic Netcasts network. All right. Let's get the show, as they say, on the road. Sector one. Time travel. All right, Paul. You're a fan of the Ghostbusters, I'm guessing. Ghostbusters 1, Ghostbusters 2? Ah, see, you've already... See, there's a sharp divide, <laughs> sir. You need to know this. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Ghostbusters is one of the premier comedies of any generation, really. Uh, I It was a regular at my... Uh, at my uh, apartment in college, uh, people were watching it all the time. Uh, Ghostbusters two, less so. Okay, well, <laughs> to be fair. All right, so one could say that you're a fan of director Ivan Reitman, right? Yes, I find him to be. I he is a good director. Okay, well, uh, a Variety has some inside information on Ivan Reitman's next project. Of course, he's the director of Stripes and Meatballs. Instead of straight comedy, which he's also known for, uh, Reitman may be directing a time-traveling sci-fi film for Paramount. It's called Field Trip. The movie would follow a school teacher who embarks on a time-travel journey with her class. The question I have is, is this going to be on purpose oh, or boy. by accident? It's got to be by accident. It's got to be fact, by accident. I think it'd be. I would think it'd be awesome if it were just a science project gone wrong by one of the students. Wouldn't yeah, that be great? That just was, have like one of the kids accidentally invent time travel and the teacher's freaking out, having no idea what to do? That would be fantastic. Yeah, I would. I would like that very much. Okay, so a Variety says Field Trip has been a passion project of Reitman's for some time now, and it should be able to leap into hyperdrive now that it has, it has a writing team in place. The blending of science fiction and comedy has been Reitman's strength over the course of his decades-spanning career. His ability at pairing average Joes with supernatural forces, a la Ghostbusters, is what helped make Reitman a household uh, name. And while he stayed busy with character comedy over the years, helming things like Kindergarten Cop and Dave, he'd also dabble in sci-fi and fantasy, like uh, the films Evolution and My Super Ex-Girlfriend. So uh, look for Ivan Reitman directing and what it sounds like he may be producing also, Field Trip. A um, sounds like a dramedy of some kind. Uh, yeah, maybe. I just like okay. <laughs> and Dave breathes a sigh of relief. Everybody, there you go. Um, yeah, I, I hate kids, and the reason I hate kids is because I have a lot of experience working with them, and so my hatred is completely founded. Just putting that out there. Okay. Uh, that's that's actually not true at all. But no, I've been camp counselors and things like that. Like I, I worked for the, I, you know, having never been a Boy Scout, I would help Boy Scouts of America do like the, some swimming merit badges, stuff like that. Um, but anyway, I find it, I, I would be terrified to think of the reaction of the teacher having to wrangle kids in a different time period. Oh man. Like an entire classroom of kids like, we'll say they're, you know, well, I, I'm assuming they're, like, elementary school, judging by the by the uh, the article. I could be wrong. But, yeah, 
can you imagine having to deal with like a bunch of fourth graders like having no idea you know like oh hey we're in the future i don't know what's going on mr authority figure it's hard enough corralling kids through a museum or some kind of public (laughs) venue like that and keeping them on track you know keeping them keeping their attention focused on the, the job at hand which is is you know uh getting your way through whatever exhibit it is but yeah i can imagine like if they were sent back to like prehistoric times and they can only walk on the certain path and they can't crush anything because if they crush a certain insect that's going to cause a paradox causing a, oh, a different future i yeah that's that, I, that's a- that is the first thing to go. <laughs> like, there's no way they're not going to be able to do it. Yeah. Well, welcome to Paradox. I mean, you're no. Damn it, Jimmy. Kids I, are going to be enthralled. Are you kidding? Damn it, Jimmy. I've told you before. I, you've caused too many paradoxes before, and I'm going to let um, you're not going to be a lot on this trip this time. I'm sorry. So, all right, uh, we had that look that to look forward to. Again, it's called Field Trip. Um, keep that on your radar for future movies. All right, time travel, Paul. What do you got for us? Oh boy, there's a guy named Stephen Hawking. I don't know if anyone out there has heard of him. You know, he he's he does some stuff. He does some things. Uh, he was a part of the 2012 uh, Seattle Science Festival, and. He's trying to, he's doing a quote-unquote search for the theory of everything in the hopes to win a Nobel Prize. That's kind of what he's doing right now. And someone during a lot of, you know, naturally when you go to one of these events, he's a big deal. You know, like people are just, he kind of rolls like a rock star in that way. People are just kind of always surrounding him and asking him questions. And they caught this thing on, uh, they caught one of the questions on film. And I found it fascinating because someone asked if time travel was possible or more to the point, what would happen if time travel were possible? You know, what would change? And I found his reaction to be, to be kind of amusing. He's, at least, at least in the beginning, he said, um, he said that time travel is happening. You know, like you and I, we are traveling through time. You and I, we are right now, we are traveling and he claimed, and this, this, this was hilarious, he claimed that he had experimental data that time travel wasn't possible, first of all. So I found, I found that to be cool. So he said he conducted a party for all time travelers, but he didn't send out the invitations until after the party. And then he, and then he just said he waited and waited, and nobody showed up. So there's your experimental data that time travel was not possible. I'm a little bit confused. <laughs> oh, never mind, Dave. He was making a joke. Oh, oh, got it. Okay, I'm sorry. I thought he was actually conducting an experiment of some kind, oh. like leaving notes oh. along the past <laughs> in hopes of time travelers seeing them and coming to his future party or something like that. No. Oh. <laughs> Uh, it was an informal research. <laughs> okay. And, but, he, of course, then he got serious, and he's, like, he references, uh, obviously, Einstein's theory of relativity. And, yeah, I mean, it's theoretically possible either way. You're either going to be traveling so fast that you can go into the future, 
or you can warp space-time so much that you can go back in time. Uh, either is technically possible. It's just, you know, it's a, as I remember one of our shows once put it, it's a small matter of engineering. Mm-hmm. We can do it. Yeah. It's just <laughs> how much antimatter can we manufacture? <laughs> so he didn't really reveal anything brand new or crazy, like reveal some big secret or something. That'd be hilarious if he did, wouldn't it? Yeah. Like, just all of a sudden, oh, yeah, by the way, poof, I'm gone. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, The link that you provided has the whole talk, right? That's that's the complete talk? Yes, sir. All right. It is, well, it's not the interview. It is the question in general. He actually, they went on to ask what what his quality of life is, which I found to be, I don't know, if I were in his situation, I'd get kind of sick of that question. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, what is his problem? It's ALS, isn't it? I don't know, to tell you the truth. I don't, know what, I, don't know, I don't know what he's afflicted with. But anyway, you know, but he was very positive about that question, which I thought was really cool. Uh, he was just like, yeah, you know, I'm handicapped, but I'm, I have, you know, I have three children. I have grandchildren. I've been in space. I've been in submarines. I mean, I, I do really well at my work and I enjoy it. So he, at least my impression of it was, he was, he's very, he strikes me as very content. For a person in his position, he has led a very full life. In fact, he's led numerous full lives. I mean, given all that he's accomplished, you know, when you think about it. Sure. Sure. Awesome. Yeah. Check out the link. Okay. We'll put the links, of course, in the show notes along with the podcast. Before we move on to robots, we would like to hear what you thought of the stuff that we've covered on this show or any past shows that you've listened to. Uh, Please leave us feedback by emailing us, galacticnetcasts at gmail.com. We have a voicemail number as well, 805-328-3966, or go to um, contact.galacticnetcast.com. We want to hear from you. Either negative or positive, doesn't matter. Any kind of feedback is good. Okay, here come the robots. Okay, we've got some very interesting stories in the robot category this week. They're both a little bit scary. I'm not sure which one. I... <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> And thank you again. It's you know what, Dave? It's because of these kinds of shows or these kinds of stories that we do this show. It really is. <laughs> and and we've we've talked about this before in the past that we could do a whole show just on robot stories. There's so many of these. Oh yeah. That that pop up every single week. I had numerous to choose from, and I think we picked the the best two of the week. So uh, here's the first one. A robot has learned to say basic words in the same way a baby listens to and repeats syllables in its early development. The iCub humanoid robot, nicknamed Dichi, successfully learned to name simple shapes and colors after computer scientists at the University of Hertfordshire in the UK displayed blocks and repeated the corresponding words in the same way that a parent might start interacting with their child to promote speech. The whole process took just a few minutes, Paul. This robot learned words 
in a few minutes. So what you're saying is we've already created something that has far surpassed a normal child. Sound, child. Sounds like it. Yeah. Sounds like oh, it. Really. This is kind of scary. Okay. Uh, it is uh, known that infants are sensitive to the frequency of sounds and speech. And these experiments show how this sensitivity can be modeled and contribute to the learning of word forms by a robot, says Caroline Lyon, who worked on the study. A video of one of the training sessions shows Dichi, which has 53 motors to operate its head and limbs, struggling to emit anything other than a stream of incoherent babble before picking up the word green. Despite recognizing an anchor word among the string of syllables it is processing, Dichi has no understanding of their meaning, just as a child does. It is simply discerning the most frequently uttered syllables and repeating them. The study focuses on early development, equivalent to a 14-month-old child. The research is not only designed to advance the study of language-capable robots, but also the field of early language acquisition. So it's, it's kind of killing two birds w- with one stone, teaching robots how to speak, mm. but also understanding how, how we as humans learn the language. Uh, great. So I, for one, welcome our robot overlords. And yeah, I'm glad they can die immediately dissect our speech and when i say immediately i mean like you know in a matter of minutes do what we do in 14 months pretty scary this reminds me of the scene from 2001 space odyssey when um hal is the 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 scientist the doctor whatever his name is is working with maybe it's 2010 the the sequel it's one of the two movies how he's 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 talking to Hal and just the, the language development of Hal. It's, it's, it sounds very similar sure. to that movie, how they were doing it. Sure. It's, I, that's really interesting that the first word it picked up was a color. Mm-hmm. Like, you would think that... I, I, see, I, I find it difficult to believe that it would actually understand it. You know what I mean? Like, because that's a completely different ball game altogether like it's one thing to say the word green it's another thing to actually point at something and say hey that's green well okay like like the article said it doesn't understand the word it's just basically mimicking speech but what you're saying is it's actually able to discern the word from everything else the human is saying is that what you're trying to get get at well yeah that's my point but you know, now that I'm now that I'm thinking about it a little bit, at least a child in early speech development, I've seen children like they'll ask, you know, parents will ask their kids, "Hey, what's this color? What's this color?" And they may get it wrong, but they eventually get it. Mm-hmm. And I would think that that level of comprehension obviously isn't there with the same like with the same granularity as the as the child. Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> It's it's pretty amazing that they're using the same techniques as they do as people as parents do with their children to get your kids to learn how to speak as they're using the same techniques and that's what's pretty amazing about this 
is um, it's not software that they're not inputting inputting code. They're actually teaching the robot skills, which is yeah. different from yeah. having it already in yeah. their programming. A learning computer, my friend. It's coming. Yep. It's, pro it's already here. What am I talking about? It's here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's the first step. And then I, dude, I, can you imagine like the royal freak out that people are going to have once a, ro once a robot becomes self-aware? Mm -hmm. It really, like, it really is only a matter of time. Yeah. I, like, I mean, you know, we've talked about that for years. It, it, everybody has, but like, this is real. Like, they're really, you know, it's going to, it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And to what level of self-preservation is this robot going to, do? like, what's going to happen? Yep. I don't know. I know. Well, I was thinking about the, this this morning before the show that, um, you know, there's all these stories about breaks th breakthroughs in robot technology because there's so many people working on it. There's, like, there's yep. thousands of people worldwide working on robotic technology. And that's gotta that's gotta add up to something sooner than later, you know. Sure, I mean you you already said it. Like we get, I don't know about you, but the amount of robot stories that we could talk about in any given week are, are plentiful. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, the military robots alone are enough. Yeah. But I mean, forget all that. Like, hey, we have robots that will, you know, help you guide you through death. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell is going on? Let's not go back to that story. That's really depressing. All right. How about something more cheerful, like robot skin? What's this all about? I this is more cheerful. But anywho, <laughs> uh, as the article is saying, as Dave was alluding to, robots may not have the sense of feeling emotion yet. Yet. Throwing that in there. But the researchers at the University of Southern California... Ver, ver, I never knew. I went to this freaking school, and I still don't know how to pronounce that. <laughs> Verturbi School of Engineering may have soon have the gift of physical feeling. So we are we are already discussing a robot that actually gives a sense of touch uh, with the right sensors uh, and so, uh, with the right sensors and software. Robots can be given the ability to feel, or at least. Identify materials by touch, the school said. Uh, yeah. Research Today published a study in the Frontiers, uh, what is that, Neurobiotics? Yes. Neurorobotics said that uh, a specifically designed robot built to mimic the human fingertip can actually outperform a living person in identifying a wide range of materials based on textures. Meaning that we've already, again, created a robot that is more accurate in discerning this, a sense of touch than we are. And that's the most important aspect of robots is their sensory perception, right? Is seeing, hearing, and now touching. And we may have lost it. I'm... Oh, and now he's back. Okay. Hey, Dave. You know, it's funny. Every time that somebody thinks they lost me, I always move around and shake like that's going to help. It's not going to help. I don't know why I do that. 
it helps me to understand when you're back, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So what I was, Um, what I was saying was it's sensory input is the most important thing for a robot to, to work, right? Uh, You get sense of sight, um, hearing and, and actual touching, uh, feeling that's because the robot needs to know its environment, right? You would think so. I mean, it's data. So, you know, it's it's just input and output. So you're it, I just find it fascinating that it can properly identify things like just based on touch. So I, and I would imagine that this is more than simply whether something is hard or soft. I think what they're getting at is like, hey, this is a, a form of cotton or this is wood or this is whatever. OK, so when uh, when the robots learn how to speak through language learning it, it will know how to say ouch when it feels when it, when it sticks its hand with this sensitive skin into a fire they will know how to say ouch that is the rumor or at least that is what i'm being led to believe uh it, also the robot said that or the robot said they are saying that the robot is 99.6 percent effective in correctly discriminating pairs of similar textures. So, which is better than most humans would test. Wow. So not only yeah. are, we, are we making robots that feel things, but we're making robots mm-hmm. that feel things better than we do, in a sense, making a better human. Oh, boy. Don't, don't go there. <laughs> they are, the, are they the next stage in evolution, Dave? They are. <laughs> they are. We hey, dude. We've talked about the singularity so many times. It's coming, and this is just one aspect of it. So, oh goodness. Oh yeah, robots. I. There you go. All right. There, there, there's some more ammunition for your nightmares. Um, are you ready to My move nightmares on? Nightmares don't need any more. Like, seriously, like just based on this on this show alone, I absolutely like if I were just the casual listener, I'd be frightened. I'd be freaking terrified of what was coming. Mm -hmm. So maybe we need to like rebrand the podcast. (laughs) Call it your, you know, the stuff your nightmares are made out of. Yeah, I like robots. I like that a lot. And just thinking about was it Big Dog or was it the the one that DARPA is working on? dog yeah that robot alone is freaky enough let alone all the other robots that we've mentioned (laughs) i don't know man i still say the one last week you know not to beat a dead horse that one that one's up there for me what that like somebody thought this was a good idea the the robot that uh yeah beat a robot who actually dead horse dead (laughs) <laughs> or console the dead horse until you go off into sweet oblivion. Yes. Um, yeah. End of life detected. That's, ugh. That's, End of life detected. Time of death. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's let's move on here. Um, the time traveling robots in space is brought to you by Audible.com for you, the Galactic Netcast listener or viewer. 
Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the chance to check out their service. To go along with the theme of this podcast, may we suggest The Expedition, Expedition Book One by Lauren Robinson. And this sounds very, very interesting. And here's the plot synopses. Astronauts Jim Parker and Michael Murphy aboard the space shuttle Charger 2 were wrapping up a routine mission. Just prior to re-entry, they encountered a mysterious cloud bank in space, and we never heard hear from them again. Two years later, a metal box was unearthed at a construction site in St. Louis. It was a previously unknown yet apparently authentic journal of the historic Lewis and Clark expedition written by astronaut Jim Parker. Did Parker and Murphy alter history, or did they save it? Find out with The Expedition, Expedition Book One, by Lauren Robinson, available on Audible. You can get that pick or any other one by trying audible.com to download your free audiobook today. Go to audibletrial.com slash galacticnetcasts audibletrial.com slash galacticnetcast for your free audiobook. And we thank Audible for their support of the time-traveling robots in space. And speaking of space, here we go. All right, something very cool happened this week, Paul. You ready for this? Absolutely. All right. NASA and the Federal Aviation Administration, you know the guys that regulates, I don't know, Airplanes announced the, the sign. Yeah, the air. <laughs> uh, they announced the signing of a historic agreement to coordinate standards for transporting both government and non-government astronauts to and from space. The two agencies will provide mm-hmm. a stable framework for the U.S. space industry, avoid conflicting requirements and multiple sets of standards, and advance both public and. Uh, public and crew safety. So not only are they uh, regulating uh, being able to get astronauts safely to and from space, but actually protecting the public from crashing spacecraft into cities. Uh, It marks an important step towards the success of the new public-private partnership model that is the future of America's space industry. This agreement is the next step in bringing the business of launching Americans back to American soil. Charles Bolden, NASA administrator, said, We are fostering private sector innovation while maintaining high standards of safety and reliability to reestablish U.S. crewed access to low Earth orbit, in sourcing work to American companies and encouraging the development of dynamic and cost-effective spaceflight capabilities built to last. So basically, (laughs) they're building the structure for this whole ecosystem of government and private space flights. This is like the, this is like the, the building blocks of what we're going to see in the future. Um, like, when, like when Paul Swicker decides to build his own personal spacecraft in the year 2025, you are going to have to build it. One of my personal goals. <laughs> You're going to have to build it according to the FAA's uh, regulations. Huh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that I I guess you need that in some sense. Like you're not gonna, you can't launch a rocket and not, you know, piss a few people off. I get that. 
Yep. So I guess I'm just you, this article got me thinking. I'm wondering how long it's going to be before you actually need like much like you would need a passport, but you need like a space passport in order to travel into space and then come back. Yep. Like I mean, it, it can't be that far off. No. You know what I mean? Well, there's so many of these private industries working on their own systems, not just SpaceX, who is a partner with NASA, but right. Virgin Galactic, which is completely private, and it's space tourism. And who knows? There's a lot of other companies involved with uh, spaceflight development. And this is just, this is just um, I think, a way for the FAA and NASA, basically. And it says, it says it in this article. It's so they don't double regulate because both of this is this is the first time that these two agencies have had to cross paths because they never had private space flight before. And it's interesting. Right. Yeah, I hope. Uh, yeah, I hope that it's not too much of a hassle for them. You know what I mean? Like they're kind of breaking new ground here first of all mm -hmm. so i'm just wondering like what kind of rules that these spacex folks have had to go around in, in order to actually accomplish their goals yeah let's just hope it's not too many regulations but that's what they're trying to avoid here with uh you know establishing standard standard the same standards from both agencies that they they it won't be too much red tape that's what it sounds like to me at least Okay. All right. Well, I hope not for everybody's sake. Yeah. It's the future, man. It's the future. Okay. So finally, in the space category, what you got for us, Paul? I, Dave, I welcomed our robot overlords earlier. Now I'm welcoming our Chinese overlords because they have broken ground this week. Uh, three Chinese astronauts made history on Monday when their spaceship successfully docked to a prototype space lab in orbit for the first time. So good on them, I suppose. Okay, can I but, stop? Can I stop uh, you for a second, Paul? Absolutely. I didn't realize that China already had a had a space station in orbit. Did you know that? No, this is not. I, I guess you could define it as a space station, but there's actual. They made a distinction in this article. It is a prototype space lab. Okay. Meaning that I don't think it's as big as the, say, International Space Station. So basically, it's a tube in space that has life support and maybe a couple of solar um, collectors on board, and that's about it. And maybe it's got some retro rockets. It's basically, it's a space it's it's a spacecraft that's just in orbit is what it is mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that's what it sounds like okay. but anyway yes um but they also broke new ground when they received their first email in space Ooh. this was on tuesday so not only did they get space but they sent emails so good for the chinese you know okay i'm, I'm taking a different direction with this dave i'm surprised they haven't got to this point sooner I mean, we've sent tweets from space for a while. We've, you know, we've we've done quite a bit, and I'm a little shocked that the Chinese haven't gotten further. Maybe, I mean, 
any thought there? Well, they're fairly new in this business. They've only been in the space business for, I want to say, 10 years. It hasn't been that long. And it takes, I think it takes, and they probably have to figure it out all to the, you know, with not a whole lot of help. Sure. Sure. Yeah, I guess that's kind of true. Um, but yeah, you'd think, again, I would say with their resources, they should have, maybe it's a lack of interest. I don't know. But, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I suppose I should be happy that they're getting as far as they are. But anyway, moving, moving even further, the country intends to build a full-blown space station in orbit by the year 2020 and to one day land an astronaut on the moon. So I guess they're, again, another interesting point. They're thinking about building their own space station rather than try to partner with, you know, us and, you know, Russia. And I I mean, maybe there's obviously maybe a lot of political tension there. Um, but think but about yeah, they're intending to build their own space station. Well, think about this. OK, without without Google and Microsoft. Apple would, I don't think they'd be as far along as they are now. Without competition, I don't think they'd be as far along as they are now. And this is just a version of that. I think competition's good no matter what area it's in. And if we have people competing with us for space development, we're going to have to step up our game. You know, it's almost like another space race. Us versus the Chinese, as opposed to us versus the USSR back in the 60s and 70s, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, last December, the Chinese space program officials unveiled their white paper listing uh, the country's space exploration goals, including a 60-ton manned space station. So, yeah, I don't know how big the international space station is, but a 60-ton manned space station sounds pretty big to me. Mm-hmm. Um, planned to uh, return samples of the moon to Earth by 2016 using a robotic space tra- spacecraft. Yeah, so some lofty goals the Chinese have, which is an, another good thing. You know, that's like the... That's like... Um, what is it? Uh, something resources. Um... The, the asteroid mining company, they have yeah, yeah. they have some lofty goals too, which is it's good to have higher goals than to have lower goals because it it makes you work that much harder. So I you know again I welcome the Chinese to this arena. You know, bring it on. All right. Are you a, are you in agreement with me on this, or are you are you scared that the Chinese are gonna like overtake us and? That's going to be their way of invading our, uh, defeating us. <laughs> That's the typical scare tactic, right? Is, hey, the Chinese, man, they have all the money. They're going to take over everything. That's the next thing. So I guess I could play into that fear if I wanted to, but I'm not going to. Yeah. Uh, no, I agree in the sense, I agree that the competition is, is definitely good. Um, that you, well, you could even make a parallel to the space race uh, between us and Russia, because the only reason we did that is because we were afraid of the Russians. Mm-hmm. So if the only reason we're doing this is because we're starting to be afraid of what the Chinese are doing, I, I don't, I think that the results could be positive. 
it could be negative, but it, I think that that may drive a lot of uh, a lot of innovation, and that is something we desperately need in the space arena. I also read a headline this week that there's going to be like a certain amount of jobs not available anymore, like by 2020 something, like uh, a couple million or something. I forget the number. What's that? Okay. Are we on that list? Do I need to start training in something else? No, no. What what I was trying to say was I was trying to get at was I think that we need more industries to replace those jobs that we're going to lose. And I think a lot of the a lot of new jobs could be in either industry getting us to space or actual jobs in space. How about trying out for a reality show on Mars? How's that? How's that grab you? Oh man, you sold a lot of people already on that reality show on Mars. They're act- See, okay. Here's the here, not, not to think about this purely from a dollars and cents perspective, but I know, like, I know how these studios think. Um, the reason that, well, one of the reasons that there are so many reality shows is because they're super, super cheap to produce. Mm-hmm. Like, there's they're practically nothing, and they get huge numbers. Once you're talking about a a, uh, a reality-based uh, show in space, you're kind of throwing that model out the window. Yeah. Because I don't imagine it would be cheap. Uh, but it, I don't know. Maybe I, I would watch it. I don't. I hate reality shows, and I would watch it. Yeah. Well, Elon Musk's, Musk's original idea, Elon Musk, founder and um, CEO of, of SpaceX, his original idea was to launch a greenhouse to Mars and have a camera set up in order to, for people to watch it. And that's sort of a reality show when you think about it, right? Sure. Sure. How would you... Huh. I'm already thinking about... Maybe you could do a faux reality show based on a, uh, like a, a station on Mars. Huh. You could do it. Yeah. You'd have to like you'd have to fake a lot of things. Like you'd have to pretend like that. Hey, we have normal gravity here, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. or ah, oh, that'd be tough. Yeah, no, it's hilarious. There, yeah, <laughs> let the let the hijinks ensue. But t- talking about Jimmy, oh, look, someone gets sucked out into space. Isn't that hilarious? <laughs> no, Jimmy Schaefer in the chat room posted the uh, the question. Uh, I read a story about people getting shipped to Mars earlier this week in pods and to live on Mars. Uh, they are making mm-hmm. it like a reality show. I heard part of this. I didn't know about the reality show part, but I knew that there's a group that's thinking about sending a bunch of people to Mars and not, and they're going to stay there. They're, they're not planning on going back to Earth. They're going to go to Mars and live. Talk about commitment. That's some serious commitment. Yeah. I want to be famous, please, even though nobody's going to recognize me when I go outside. <laughs> All right. Interesting. All right. Um, that's, doing, that's going to do it for space. Um, some great conversations. Um, I enjoyed our... our uh, I think that's the most that we've talked about the space category for a long time. Normally, the, the meat of our show is on robots, but uh, we, we had a long bit there about space. So, uh, cool. Okay, you can listen to all of the Galactic Netcast shows, including this one, 
on Stitcher Smart Radio uh, via your iPhone, Android phone, BlackBerry, or many other uh, devices like Android tablets and the Nook as well. Stitcher is Smart Radio on your phone. Uh, find it in your app store or go to stitcher.com slash galactic netcasts. Enter the promo code galactic netcasts for a chance to win a $100 cash card. Stitcher Smart Radio, it's the smarter way to listen to radio. All right, you ready for picks, Paul? Let's do it. All right. So my pick is Continuum. Have you heard about this show? Mm, maybe. Remind me. Well, there's a good reason why you may not have heard of the show. It's a Canadian TV show that's only available no. on Canadian TV. And the only reason that I'm watching it is somebody, somebody sent me the downloads. I'm watching it basically illegally. Um, Dude, you're stealing. Might as well just steal a car. I didn't steal it. The person that gave it to me stole it, so my hands are clean, my friend. Um, right, because no one gets busted for possession. <laughs> okay, so back to the uh, back to the series. It's a Canadian science fiction series um, that premiered on the Showcase Network on May 27th. And do you want to hear more about it, Paul, or do you want to be all That's judgmental all right. with your um, with your judginess? Hey, man, I can do both. <laughs> I am perfectly capable of listening and being judgmental at the same time. Okay. Get ready to be <laughs> judgmental some more here. Vancouver City Protective Services Protector Kira Cameron is transported from the year 2077 to 2012 when a group of terrorists from her time escapes, ex- escapes execution by fleeing to present day. In order to track them okay, down... No, no, no. Pause. Terrorists in Vancouver? Really? Yes. Moving on. Let me explain more, and you'll understand, okay, Paul? Okay. Just calm down. Okay. <laughs> okay, so... I love busting cannons, guys. <laughs> um, in order to track them down and stop them from endangering the past, Kira joins the local police force and uses the skills of a young tech genius. The future of 2077 is a dystopian one in which world governments have collapsed and megacorporations now dominate the planet, removing many basic social freedoms. The moral dilemma this presents is that the eight terrorists from 2077 consider themselves to be freedom fighters against the Orwellian corporate regime that dominates their time. Okay, and there's a lot of paradoxes involved in this series. So let me explain this a little bit more. Um, okay, after Kira goes back in time, the only person she can, she can communicate with her via her technology is Alex Sadler, who in her time had invented the technology in the first place. However, in 60 years' time, an elderly Alex Sadler is actually the head of the mega corporation. Sad tech, whose technology may inadvertently or otherwise have been used to send Kira and the others back in time. See where I'm going with this? Paradoxes galore here. Mm-hmm. Young Alec points out that there are essentially two possibilities. The first is that um, this is a time loop, 
and elderly Alex in 2077 had already met Kira, remembered everything they did together, and was possibly even inspired to create cybernetic technology from encountering his future work in her implants. Uh, in this case, nothing can be changed, and the mega corporations will still dominate the planet in 2077. The second possibility is that the time travel of the terrorists and Kira has altered the pre-existing timeline and due to their intervention is no longer certain what 2077 will be like. The first possibility more closely matches the fact that the 2077 version of Alex Sadler was the only witness to the escape of the terrorists who seemed totally unsurprised as events unfolded early in episode one. Yet another possibility is that old Alec, based on his earlier experience as young Alec, <laughs> knew the rebels would make the time jump and that he actually supports their actions. So there's a lot of... This is, these paradoxes give me a headache when, when I have to try to figure them out. <laughs> you lost me a long time ago, dude. Okay. I, what, all I heard was Canada and terrorists, and I kind of laughed, and that was pretty much where it Hey. Okay, this is a dystopian future where corporations have taken uh -huh. over your life. There can be terrorists everywhere. Uh, yeah, there could be. 2077. That's 50 years from now, right? No, 60 years from now. Uh, right. That's right. So what, what are we to glean from this? That that Canada will be the new world power. Well, no, I can't no. say that without. What I'm okay, mega like global corporations. They they're they may be based out of Canada, but they're 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 they control the whole world. Okay, quit your small <laughs> quit your small mindedness there, Paul. Okay, quit being a. Quit being anti-Canadian, all right? This is, we're talking global domination by these corporations. I understand. Okay. All right, that's my I, pick this week. I, Continuum. <laughs> and there, there's new... I actually love Canada. I actually, I actually do love Canadians. Yeah, I know I you do. Canada. You just can't take that's them seriously. Good. I understand. Um, the good news is that this may be coming to American TV very soon. It sounds like Sci-Fi may be picking this up. Um, so look for it on Sci-Fi or another cable network in the U.S. soon. It's called Continuum. I highly recommend it. So let me judge your pick. What's your pick? Uh, uh, the foreign nature of my pick this week is from Japan. I am recommending a little video game called Dark Cloud 2. And I say... I say little as a very ironic statement. It is massive. Uh, Dark Cloud 2 was originally for the PS2 and released in the United States on February 17, 2003. So almost, you know, nearly 10 years old. We're getting there. Um, I don't... Here's the thing. Is that it is a definitely a uh, fantasy type of genre in a very steampunky atmosphere, and on top of that, you're getting in things like technology where you have time travelers. So you like among other things, you have this person who has come from the future, who is trying to help you, like kind of usurp the 
the the power monger who's trying to create the dystopian future. So she goes back in time to try to help you to overthrow the bad guy in your time. So basically, so, so basically, it, it's like Continuum, but but different. It's the same premise, kind of. Kind of. I mean, a lot of time travel, you know, motifs are are put in uh, have similar themes, right? Like you have. You know the Terminator series. Yeah, that's kind of an obvious one. You have somebody who's trying to basically prevent the future that has happened from happening. Um, yeah, this game. Okay, just give you a little bit of background about this. Um, we tried to. When I say we, my my college roommates and I, some of them made a concerted effort to try and beat this thing, and it was hard, <laughs> and it was long. Like I remember. I, one of my roommates put um, over 120 hours into this thing, Jesus. and was not did, did not complete it. So yeah, don't try to do everything if you do pick this thing up. Uh, yeah, I tried a couple times, like with the notion that I would do. You know what? I will just completely. I'll just do critical path type stuff. I won't do anything extra special, and I'll just go. And you know. 80 hours later, you kind of give up on the whole thing. Okay, can I ask you what type of game it is? Is it, is it uh, sure. thir- first person, or what is it? It's a third person, for the most part. Um, it's an, you can call it basically an action RPG, meaning that you're, you know, you're building things up, you're using experience points to do things, and you're building up, you know, you're upgrading your weapons. That's a big part of it. It's trying to figure, like, combining certain things to make other really cool kinds of weapons. And then, uh, you know, just going through the, just going through the story. That's really what it's about. Uh, so yeah, one of the one of the really interesting parts is that in the past, you one of the things that you're trying to do is rebuild. Uh, you're trying to build up society. So you'll be given elements, and you'll try you'll place things in a city, right? You'll you'll place like a bridge, you'll place buildings, you'll place trees, stuff like that. And then you go into the future, and you'll see what's happened as a result of what you put. Oh, neat! So all the trees will have gotten bigger, things will have popped up. So it's it's that kind of thing, and it's um it's a lot of fun. Like obviously, it's <laughs> it requires a bit of a time commitment, but it is quite awesome. It sounds like it's a combination of a couple of different kind of games. It sounds like it's it sounds like SimCity-ish in a way, sort yes. of. Yes. But also, but also a shooter game too, right? Well, it's not really a shooter, but um, it, well, kind of. It's funny. Like I, the reason I, the reason I'm, the reason that it's kind of mixed is because a lot of these, a lot of games. Are really mixing genres. They have been for, you know, obviously a long time. So putting it into a simple, uh, definable state can be difficult. It can be difficult sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, like this has elements of the. This has a lot of elements of an actiony type of game. There's definitely a lot of elements about uh, role playing. Uh, yeah, and there's yeah, and they have a golf mini game. So there's that. <laughs> Wait a second. A golf mini game within the game? You play golf? Yeah, it's not it's not really golf, obviously. Basically what you're trying to do is they put it in they put it in this context of there are rifts inside of space and you can see them as holes. Okay. Right? 
and you, in order to close these holes, in order to reestablish an line, you put, you hit these little balls into the into the little portals to close them. That's oh. the thing. Okay, and it's essentially golf. Okay, that's cool. I like that. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, and all of the. I should also note that each of the dungeons that you go through are randomly generated. So. You go through thing. You go into one once. Let's say you die or have to start over. You go back and it's different. Whoa, that's pretty intense. Yeah. It. Yep. So enjoy that pick. <laughs> It'll last you for weeks. All right. Months. So Dark Cloud Two. Uh, we have that in the picks section at galacticnetcast.com. If you want to pick it up, please order it through uh, our website through Amazon. And we'll get a percentage of the profits, and that's another way of helping the Galactic Netcast Network. So uh, Dark Cloud 2 and Continuum are picks for the week. Also, on the website, don't forget to uh, click on social and uh, follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and put us in your Google Plus circles. Again, that's galacticnetcast.com, where you can also subscribe to the Time Traveling Robots in Space podcast either uh, by itself or subscribe to the mega feed, which gets all of the current Galactic Netcasts and future shows, which we haven't done yet because they're in the future. Makes sense, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, uh, moving on. One final thing before we get out of here today. Question of the week. You ready, Paul? Let's do it. Okay. And chat room, please play along. If you could travel in time, what period would you not like to go to? We've talked about periods that you'd like to go to in past shows. We want to know what period of time you would not like to go to. Paul Swickard. Dark Ages. And why? I, I can't imagine. I can't imagine. Like, I feel like... If I were just to suddenly go back there, they'd take one look at my clothes and like want to burn me at the stake or something. I just, <laughs> I, I would not feel comfortable doing that whole thing. Not to mention all of the religious turmoil that's going on in the world. Yeah. Like, during that time, especially, I just no. Yeah, depending <laughs> no de de are, depending on where you live, you 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 should be prepared to have full devotion to whatever god they are they are following in that part of the world that you land yeah. in, you know? Yeah. And that's not even to mention the plague. Yep. I mean, how many people died? I, oh, especially when I knew I would know how to cure it. Like, yeah. Like all I need is some antibiotics. <laughs> Does anybody have any antibiotics? Speaking no, you have to get the demons out of your skin. <laughs> Go do that. <laughs> demons. That's what it is. That's what's causing that's it is demons. You think I'm kidding, but it's true. They no. thought that it was demons yes. inside of you, so you had to cut it open and let it out. Yeah, I know. I'm way yeah. too familiar. Speaking of the plague, the Black Plague, did you hear the story about um, the person in Seattle who got, uh, got the Black Plague yes. recently? Yes. Yes. Oh, man. <laughs> or better yet, did you hear about that teacher who decided that you need to get rid of all of the, rid of all the demons and students? Oh, yes. Yes, I heard that story, too. There's some crazy stuff happening in the world. I'm just saying that that whole 2012 thing, world coming to an end, may be true. 
I'm just saying. Well, how many references were, you know, were made during the about the zombie apocalypse and twenty and twenty twelve now that people have decided to start eating each other? Like yeah. and I mean that literally like eating each other. Okay. If I could go on a rant for just one second. All right, Paul Swickard, the floor is yours. Just one second. Paul, this is uh, this is you know, my rant by Paul Swickard. I went to a church service in which the pastor blamed this whole bath salts thing on video games because we because the idea was that the whole zombie trend thing would never have happened had it not been for video games. So, wow. yeah, I, I was a little more than a little irritated, and. <laughs> I, I just was like, oh, yes. So the idea of eating another human being is entirely developed by video games. And cannibalism has never, ever existed no. before then. No, uh-uh, not at all. So is this, was this your church or did somebody else's church? No, no. I was, I was going to a dedicate. I, I have a little niece. She's like six months. Okay. And I was going to her dedication. So it was a church that I normally don't go to. Okay. And yeah, I was just like, this guy is killing me. You know what? I, you know, variety is great and all, and it's good to have choices, but some choices are better than others. Like the church that my parents go to and the church that I grew up in, I recently went to a service and they are so open and liberal. It's like, I, it's a refreshing change because you hear about, um, you know, churches being very, you know, I don't want to get too political here, but like extremes like what uh, your what your example is. Extremes like that. Sure. And this church that my that, parents go to are it's so open and just loving and everything's cool. I wish all church was like I'll wish all churches were like that. Yeah, not to again, not to get too political. To to be fair. That is one of the more extreme examples that I have heard in a while, and I've been to you know, been to a few different churches. So, yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. So your answer is Dark Ages. Dark, yes. To rule it all back, we are Dark Ages. <laughs> that let's not you know get plague and things like that. So, okay. what is your answer, sir? Okay. Where would you not like to go? I would not like to go billions of years ago when the earth was still forming because it's it's fraught with peril because you have questionable atmosphere who knows what the atmosphere may be like unstable plate tectonics there could be earthquakes and volcanoes and just crazy stuff happening and then you've got asteroids and other things from space hitting the planet on a regular basis so yeah uh not a good place to be billions of years ago when the Earth was still in its formative stage. I can see that. I can see that. It would probably be, I mean, I don't know. We picture it as a very chaotic time, but you're talking about, you know, however many millions of years. So maybe it's not as chaotic as we might think. It's just... And also, you know, that millions of years cycle, you have a very short lifespan, you may get lucky yep. and end up in a, a nice, warm, tropical, air is perfect. Um, there's no earthquakes or volcanoes going on at that time. You know, you may get lucky. 
Yes, sir. All right. So there you That's go. Um, if you want to answer our question of the week, uh, give us feedback, 805-328-3966, or email galacticnetcast at gmail.com and let us know the time period that you would not like to travel back to. And that's going to do it for this episode of Time Traveling Robots in Space, number 36. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, chat room, and everybody for subscribing to the podcast. And uh, we'll be back again very soon. Before we leave, any final thoughts, Paul Swickard? Be excellent to each other. Good one, my friend. We'll talk to you later. Leave your hailing frequencies open and scanners on full because another Galactic Netcast will be approaching your coordinates soon. For more information, go to galacticnetcasts.com.